0: In the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sanctifies, amen. Amen. Please sit. We have entered now into the season after Pentecost, when we wear green forever. Some of us call it ordinary time, but it's this stretch here after Trinity Sunday, really sort of around into the fall, until the sort of narrative story of Jesus begins again, And it's in this season that with a lot of love and a lot of respect, remember the word respect, I often will describe the Jesus that we encounter here as grumpy Jesus. And it's because if we seriously listen to the gospel in ordinary time, if we really follow Jesus through this long stretch of tough stories and interesting parables, it's clear that he is asking a lot of us. A lot. And much of what we hear sort of flies in the face of this popularized Jesus that I think at least is profiled and caricatured in culture a lot about, you know, Jesus is my buddy. The whole Jesus is my homeboy vibe, right? This sort of gentle, loving to a fault, peaceful, passive Jesus. He, he is those things on certain occasions, but he is not those things on other occasions. And I think sometimes we skip over that part. We like to talk a lot, and I do it too, about the overwhelming, never-failing, perfect love of Jesus for us, about the ways that we are held and the ways that we are cared for And I deeply believe that that is true. But often as Christians, and I think especially as Episcopalians, I really think it's a special sort of hobby and an ability of ours, we miss out on the next part of the equation. And in large part, I think that's because for, for a very long time, it was not cool, and it was not perceived as fun to talk about what happens next, to preach about what happens after we receive this overwhelming, perfect, wonderful love. We skip over the part that is about what we're supposed to do with that love. And a lot of us, and I'm including myself in this, it's often very easy to hear a text like we just heard and say, well, this was written a long time ago. We don't know exactly what Jesus actually said, so it was probably a lot nicer than that. And in the gospel today, he says some really difficult things. And even if we can rationalize our way out of some of them, it's important as serious Christians that we take the text seriously and we contend with what is actually there. So when we find Jesus in the gospel this morning, he is on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He is notably, I think, not soft and squishy, not lovey-dovey in this text. The text tells us that he has already set his face toward Jerusalem. In fact, we hear that twice. And that means that he is determined. He has decided they are going to Jerusalem. And he, we think, we believe at this point, he knows exactly what is about to happen to him and what God is asking of him, what he is choosing to do, to submit himself to. He is determined. And I think it's important for us to try just for a minute to imagine the burden that he's carrying. He knows what's coming, no one else does. And he has submitted himself to it already on the road well before he gets to Jerusalem. And he does this out of love for you and love for God. And the problem is, and I think this would make any of us grumpy to be fair, people keep coming up to him on the road and making him these sweeping promises that are kind of empty. I will follow you anywhere you go. And he knows it's not true. He knows that even with the best of intentions, even if that really is what they mean to say, it's not true. They don't know where he's going. They don't know what burden he's carrying. And probably they don't know him well enough at this point to really have made a commitment within themselves to follow him. And I think that's borne out in the rest of the exchange that we have in the gospel this morning. We get this exchange between these two people, seemingly wanting to follow Jesus, but they have just one more thing that they need to do first. Both of them seemingly good reasons to delay, right? Not to put it off forever, just delay. How can you fault the man who wants to bury his father? I can't, and another who wants to say goodbye to his family, that seems pretty reasonable to me too. And how harsh Jesus sounds when he rebukes them, really. Let the dead bury their own dead. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think if we're honest, that sounds like an incredibly tall order maybe even an impossible order for those of us who love each other as well. But here's what's at the heart of it. Jesus wants to be first in your life. For your first priority, your most important relationship, to be with the triune God who loves you and who created you. There's often talk in Christian circles, and certainly it's been debated by scholars who are much smarter than me, um, about the difference between, quote, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And as Episcopalians, we believe that this is the same God, but there is a stark difference between what we read there, if if you've really dug into it. We don't believe that God changes but that over time, our understanding and our interpretation has changed. So over time, the Spirit continues to move creation toward perfection, which is super hard for me to believe this morning, maybe for you, but that's the idea that the Spirit is moving us toward perfection. And so our, our understanding, our lenses, our perspective changes instead. And I think this moment that we see with Jesus in the gospel this morning is a perfect thread to sort of connect the two. It shows you that There is some continuation between the two. In Hebrew scriptures, we hear all the time about a jealous God who wants to be first in your life, who expects, who demands to be the most important part of your life. This morning, Jesus does the same thing. Jesus is not willing to entertain any excuse, any delay, anyone who will say, yes, Lord, but. And I think part of the reason that's hard for us to hear is because, honestly, it's all of us sometimes how many times in our life have we made excuses for ourselves and put other things ahead of our faith and ahead of our relationship with god how many times have we put our hand to the plow thinking that we want to share the good news we want to proclaim it by word and deed and grow in wisdom and respect the dignity of every human being and then we don't we have something else to do somewhere else to be people we don't want to make uncomfortable, other things we need to take care of, and a million different reasons to delay, to be quiet, to be distracted. And it's hard, I think, because we want something of God. We want something often of the church. That's usually concretely how it comes out. But we aren't willing to do what God in return asks of us, what the church asks of us. And instead, we sort of set up this consumerist society where we're supposed to get what we want. Actually, it's a little bit like my favorite image is that it's God as a vending machine, right? We put our quarters in and we say our prayers the right way and we check the boxes. And so then, of course, we should get back out exactly what we wanted, right? (laughs) And when that doesn't work, everything falls apart. And so the answer sort of becomes for Jesus, you know what? I will follow when I'm sure, when I've gotten what I wanted, when things feel set up for me, when everything's in order, when I'm ready. Jesus wants to be with us and so wants our yes to be yes. Not yes but, not yes how about tomorrow, not yes if I get what I want, Yes, now, today, no strings, no exceptions. And here's the sticking point, and it's super clear, I think, in, in the words of the Apostle Paul this morning. It is your decision. You get to choose whether to follow or not, to have excuses or not, to be free or not. In the epistle today, we hear the apostle Paul say to the Galatians, for freedom, Christ has made you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has made you free. Now, admittedly, Paul is talking about a very specific tension between his past as someone who followed the law very carefully and his present as someone who now lives by faith. And he's talking about the tension between the flesh and the spirit, between the world and the way that we're supposed to live as faithful people. And I think he's putting a spotlight on the fact that freedom, as the world asserts it and claims it so aggressively, is actually freedom that always seems to come at the expense of someone else. I have what I have because I've taken it, because I've made it mine. As opposed to the freedom of God, the freedom of the Spirit, the freedom of a faithful life that comes from love and justice. It's freedom that spreads out. It's freedom for everyone. It's freedom that actually isn't real until everyone is free. Those are two very different pictures of freedom there. And Paul is talking about that tension— The invitation in the world to live a particular way or the invitation of faith to live in a dramatically different way. There is a lot swirling around us right now in the national rhetoric about freedom this week and specifically about religious freedom. And so I think we find ourselves very much in the middle of this tension between the law and the world and between faith And what God actually asks of us, what our faith requires of us, and where the law falls short. At our baptism, we become heirs through hope of the kingdom of God. And if we submit ourselves to the sacrament, if we're willing to do what we've been asked to do, if we commit to a community, if we choose to live out our faith in relationship with the rest of God's people, if we learn about the promises that we make to seek and serve Christ in all people, and to respect the dignity of every human being, if we're mindful of these patterns that the Apostle Paul is pointing to, if we're trying to look ahead at the field with our hand on the plow, following Jesus forward with all of our hearts instead of looking backward, then we can see this tension at play over and over again in our own lives and in the world around us. And it's a tension because of where the world is. and because we are human and because it pulls on us. That's not inherently a bad thing, but it does, it pulls on us. And what we know from our faith is that this is not the first and it will not be the last time that we are at odds with the world around us. Our faith requires so many things of us on these issues that continue to rise to the surface in the rhetoric around us. Think about racism and gun control and poverty the responsibility that we have to each other, and now, the issue of reproductive health. Now, if you're reading your e-news faithfully every week, like I know you all are, you're sitting at home waiting for it, right? When I send it late on Friday, you're like, where is it? I know that. If you're reading it, you know that a few times now, I have tried to lay out for you the teaching of the church on this issue. And I acknowledge that people are all over the map that it's a complicated issue, that it's a nuanced issue. And I invite you, if you wanna talk about it, if you wanna know what the Bible actually says about it, come talk to me. You don't have to agree with me, but let's have the conversation. Because the church has been really clear about where it is for the last nearly 70 years, declaring both that all life is precious and we cherish it and we honor it, and that every woman, every person, has the right to make decisions for themselves about their own life and their own body. No one else has the right to make those decisions for anyone. This is freedom, I think, to not have someone else indicate for you what you will or won't do. And since the 1960s, the Episcopal Church has seen this ability to choose as a key part of respecting the dignity of every human being. That is the teaching of the church. And in many ways, it's the teaching of the church because that actually reflects real religious freedom for adults to make their own decision, to struggle with their own conscience in front of their own God. The church believes because of what Jesus does on the cross, And because of what St. Paul says this morning, that part of our work is to make sure that all people are free. The freedom that Paul writes about this morning was intended for everyone. And it was won on the cross by this person who bore the burden of walking toward Jerusalem with his face determined. He was that determined that everyone should be free that he was willing to lay down his life to make it so. And it is the quest for freedom, to build this freedom and justice and peace. That is what Jesus is calling us to in the Gospel this morning. He is not willing for us to delay. He is not willing for us to make excuses. He wants us to put our hand on the plow and look forward, not backwards so that we can work together to build a world where all people are safe. And I mean that in a whole host of ways in every kind of safe that you can think of, safe from violence and guns and racism and prejudice and shame and fear, all the other things that as whole beloved worthy people, we should be safe from. And it's hard, don't be fooled. Jesus is asking a lot of us and a lot of you to make difficult choices, to be uncomfortable, to make other people uncomfortable. Not all the time, you don't have to go around hitting people in the head, but it's important to have the uncomfortable and awkward conversation and make the change that you can make for the sake of that very same overwhelming love that never leaves us and never gives up on us, and is the same for every single person on the planet. So if you are hurting this morning, as I know many people are, and you don't quite know what you think or how you feel, or how to find your bearings, for a whole host of reasons and in any direction, hear this. You are worthy, you are loved, and you are not alone god is with you the church is with you and the story is not over god will always have the last say and that word that victory is always love but take seriously the questions of the gospel this morning across your life and i ask these questions to myself always as well not just pointing them at you this is this is all of us What are the excuses that we make? What are the delays and the stopgaps we find and we invent and we choose that we put in place so that we don't have to do or say the hard thing? What is it that calls us to look back, that holds us back instead of allows us to follow Jesus into the field, into the work, into building freedom for ourselves and for everyone else? And how can you, this week, Claim this freedom for the people who are hurting around you. What will you do with this love that you have been given so freely? Amen.